374 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Occasionally On Topic Podcast. I am your host for today, Peter Treisenberg, uh, formerly known as I Have Fury, and today we are here to talk about Lost Odyssey, um, an oft-overlooked gem of the PS3 360 RPG era. Um, I am joined today by Zach Wilkerson. Hello. And by, I believe this is your first podcast, isn't it, Alex? Yes, it is. Yeah, we are joined today by Alex Franichak, so give him a big round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, how are you doing today, guys? I'm good. I uh, played a lot of Lost Odyssey today to try to get caught up for today, but uh, I, I would say other than that, I, I enjoyed myself, so I'm good. Yeah, I'm good too. I've uh, really been enjoying this game and uh, excited to talk about it for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, I've I'm uh, I've also really I really enjoyed this one. Um, I actually recently just uploaded or we uploaded a retro review of the game to the site, and uh, that review that you're reading is the heavily edited version <laughs> of what was originally a thirty four hundred word draft. <laughs> For the record, um, <laughs> uh, man, I, I have some issues with this game that I will talk about later, but I thought your review was fantastic, Peter. So good job. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was very happy with how it turned out. Yeah, I it was great. I was a uh, First draft I, uh, was good too, I thought, for the record. <laughs> I was I was riding a high and I wasn't really paying attention to um to uh content length during yeah. that period. When you get in the rhythm, you get in the rhythm. I totally understand. Sometimes I'm it honestly, just happens, yeah. I'm honestly kinda interested to see the thirty four hundred word Peter cut. <laughs> I, I think I mean, if I think you might have access to it, Alex. If uh, maybe not, but yeah, it's 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 still available to some of us. <laughs> okay. Good to know, good to know. <laughs> but um putting all that aside, yeah, I had a lot to say about this game. So we're gonna talk about it now. Lost Odyssey is kind of an interesting beast. It was it's the second of a pair of Xbox 360 exclusive JRPGs, um, the other one being Blue Dragon, that were published by Microsoft, funded by Microsoft, and developed in part by Mistwalker Studios, um, the studio founded by Hironobu Sakaguchi, um, the creator of Final Fantasy, after his departure from Squaresoft in the early 2000s. Um, These games probably in partially because of their console exclusivity i feel like have sort of attained something of a mythic status for a lot of people because i feel and and correct me if i'm wrong about this but like i feel like generally speaking if you were a jrpg fan in this period it was kind of a rough time to be a jrpg an rpg fan (laughs) oh my goodness yes (laughs) i mean i um I sort of had lost time, I guess, or maybe the inclination to spend the time like in college and then like in the late 2000s. Um, But even if I wanted to, there wasn't a lot out there. (laughs) Um, And I Mm -hmm. owned all the Xbox consoles. I could have played Lost Odyssey. I should have played Lost Odyssey. But yeah, it was a it was a tough time. Um, And I feel like um, it wasn't until like 2016, 2017, 2018 that we started to see turn based really make a comeback. Yeah, and just uh, speaking from my own experiences, um, I never had uh, any of the Xboxes growing up. I only had uh, Playstations and Nintendos, so Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey were always kind of these RPGs that I really wanted to play that were just out of my reach. I I loved Final Fantasy growing up, and it seemed like the the real continuation of that series in a way. But uh, yeah, just last year I got an Xbox Series X, and honestly... 
one of the main reasons I got it instead of the PS5 was just to play Lost Odyssey. Those, those uh, lack of load times are beautiful too, aren't they? Oh, man. oh my god, it's, <laughs> it plays oh so god. well. Yeah, it's it, it's it's smooth. It really is. Um, yeah, no, I also did not have an Xbox 360 growing up. Um, I w- I was uh, we were a, a Nintendo and PlayStation household. Um, I had a PS3. My sister had a Wii. Um, and during this time, like we said, I think Japanese games were having of some transition issues to HD game developments. A lot of them were migrating to handhelds and, um, or develop. And, and, and we had this recent, there was this discussion about like Naoki Yoshida talking right. about FF 16, <laughs> how they, they didn't want to be associated with the JRPG term because during that period, they sort of took it as derogatory. Um, I mean, there are so- whole videos that people have talked about that particular issue. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that, Whatever, I mean, whatever else you want to say about everything else that Yoshi P has said about sixteen, I agree with him on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I think I, that's definitely I think a very cogent point to make, and it did raise awareness of like, yeah, no, it really was that bad. But also Sakaguchi re- himself actually recently got in on that discussion and talked a little bit about the design process that, from his own perspective, working in the industry at that time, and I thought that was really interesting too, talking about like, yeah, we really were having this like these difficulties with um, the technological pipeline, but also the cultural shift from, you know, Western Japanese, Eastern sensibilities to Western sensibilities. It was really interesting. But yeah, so I recently, however, picked up a, I'm not playing it on a series X. I'm playing it on an Xbox one. Um, But even on the Xbox one, lost odyssey looks gorgeous. Like um, this game was pretty, was pretty cutting edge at the time being an unreal engine three, um, uh, but on the original hardware, it apparently suffers a lot from longer load times and stuttering. And during this time, and of course you had to switch discs. It was a four disc game. Um, I, I don't think I ever encountered like a moment of, of slowdown or lag or, or anything, a, a load time longer than like a few seconds on this thing. Yeah, so. I mean, lo- load times uh, are fine. Um, I-, I do think there is some jittering, at least for me. Uh, maybe it's because like I'm playing it so upscaled at this point that like it is clearly not meant. It's just for, confused like, my, my <laughs> HDR TV. Um, but I, I and well, I I think the game is a little too brown, but maybe it's my color blindness. But <laughs> um, in terms of the load times, I agree, it runs very smoothly. Yeah, those menus so responsive too. Yeah, they really are, and the fact, and too, like since the combat like relies on timing, um, that's also very helpful too. Like that, the inputs just feel really, really responsive. It's and it's one of the it's one of those cases where I think technologically wise, Lost Odyssey to me kind of feels like a relic, in a good way. How it's like. It's this game with fairly modern looking graphics and visual style, but that plays like a classic RPG of yore. And it feels like if this game had been released today, like during this like second golden age of RPGs we're kind of enjoying right now, I feel like it would have really, um, it really would may have taken off, taken off really well. I mean, I definitely think it would do better. Um, I, I think that, um, in terms of the look, they would have to update it pretty significantly, I think, um, because uh, I don't love the way this game looks um, only because, again, I- I'm afraid that it's literally a colorblindness issue because every time I walk into an area, except for like the current one, which is I'm in the Crimson Forest right now, everything just looks so unimaginably brown. But that's true of a lot of 360 games. Like I, I, I a lot of games of the era, like I 
I leveled that complaint and then like I love the original near. Now, of course, the newer version of it's way better, but um, I feel like um, a lot of games at the time look very brown to me <laughs> and I'm literally afraid it's a colorblindness issue. It was definitely a trend in games design around that time and especially being, you know, we're using Unreal. It's the same engine that games like Gears of War were on. Um, but uh, I, I actually do think Lost Odyssey, in terms of its visual style, it definitely goes for like, I don't want to say grittier, but it definitely is trying to be more down to earth and grounded at the beginning. Whereas I think a lot of the later areas, like you're in the Crimson Forest now, I think a lot of the later areas, some of the cities you go to later, do get a lot more colorful and imaginative. Um, uh, but I'm yeah, glad in, to hear that. But it, but in general, like yeah, it definitely has a, a slightly more drab color palette compared to com- definitely compared to Blue Dragon, which had that Akira Toriyama mm-hmm. artwork. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like there's like because of. Uh being on the unreal engine of course almost like an aesthetic lineage to like the big party like gears of war microsoft titles um that have like that hyper realistic and consequently brown look to them but um yeah i think i do think it kind of fits for what lost odyssey is trying to do like being kind of this more like mature adult focused like jrpg um but at the same time like that's not not, not the best excuse to just having a lot of kind of like homogenous colored environments no, I mean, I think that there's something to that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that eventually, um, you know, it's interesting. And we'll get into the characters. Uh, but for a, like, a large part, I've played the game for like 10 hours now, right? Like, And so, like, for me, like in the first eight hours, I was like, oh, every time Jansen's on screen, even though I don't think Jansen's a great character, I was so excited because he actually has a sense of humor, um, even if I maybe <laughs> find that sense of humor troubling. Um, oh, I think. I, I think Jansen's a, I think Jansen's a very fun character. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. there are there but, are there are aspects of him that have definite are definitely um a little yikes. Yeah, for sure. But I, I guess my point is like to get to Alex's point. Like, um, I feel like the game until until literally like the town that I was just in and like some of the events that happened there, which we'll get to later. Like, it just felt like so like and it, it was partially reflective of Kaim's personality, right? Like, it was like so flat, and the graphics are flat. And like this was flat and like outside of the dreams, which we'll talk about, um, it was also flat to me. And so like, I, I think to me, like I, I get what they were going for and I appreciate that. But like for me, the graphics, if they're a little brighter, <laughs> would have would have mm-hmm. maybe made me uh, happier with the opening hours. For the record, I'm very much enjoying it now. But um, early on, okay. I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I do think the art direction really helps to carry it a little bit more than just the, than the color palette and graphical presentation. Because I'm a big fan of a lot of the people they have working on this. Um, there, aside from just like a, the CGI artist, is some dude who worked with Sakaguchi on Spirits Within, which I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Takeharu in uh, Inue, I think his name. Ta- uh, is it Takeharu or Takehiko? One second, I'm gonna. I think gonna I believe Takehiko. Take- yes, I think you're right. Takehiko Inue, who was the mangaka for Slam Dunk. Um has a very distinctive art style um, and a very distinctive way of drawing human characters. And I think that translates to the main cast of Lost Odyssey in a really interesting way. Um, I, qu- I quite like, I quite enjoy that. 
Yeah, I do think the the character designs are quite good. The the clothing choices for for some of them, especially the <laughs> the women, are, are a bit suspect. Yeah, uh, especially Ming being this kind of yeah. like I just uh, a thousand her. year but, yeah. old queen <laughs> who's been you ruling know, I mean, and has all accrued all this like, wisdom and just has her and she has this gravity defying shirt on. Yeah, uh, yeah, Ming's, yeah, it's something. Ming's. Uh... Yeah, Ming's outfit is ridiculous, and um, a character you'll meet later on in the story is not much better. Um, generally speak, it, it's 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 one of those things where it's I I get I don't I don't I I'm not approved by any means. I don't mind like a little fan service in games, but at the same time, it's like you're aren't you a head of state? Yeah, this 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 game wants me to take its story serious very seriously. But at the very least, I will say that the fan service is a little equal opportunity because I do appreciate Kaim's um, midriff bearing armor. Um, my roommate walked in on me playing Lost Odyssey at one point and made a delightful comment that uh, that this guy's buns look like they're wrapped in tinfoil, um, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> but let's talk about the characters a little bit. So Lost Odyssey is the story of a group of heroes, um, people from different walks of life, um, one of a couple of whom are immortals who have been in this world for a thousand years um, and have lost their memories. Um, our protagonist is Kaim Arganar, um, who is, at starts the game, he's a mercenary. He's fighting in a battlefield um, between these two armies um, that we don't really know what they're fighting over or really understand the situation here. But I do think that opening immediately strikes a tone. Um, it's probably one of my favorite JRPG introductions ever. Um, for yeah. sure. It reminds me a lot of Xenoblade one actually. Um, yes. In yes, terms of like, just like the, the in, in media res um, in terms of like that actual, like beginning um, it, it, like you're, you're fighting immediately this giant meteor, I love that it's a meteor, so Final Fantasy, um, drops on you. <laughs> um, it, it, I, I do think that that very opening sequence um, it is the kind of storytelling that I often like. I, I know it's like sort of tired at this point, like the in meteor res, um, but I, I think it works really well. It also like manages to be like an opportunity to really show off kind of the dynamic camera angle thing they have going on for the battles, like. Like the, it starts with just like that really nice cutscene of like Kaim cutting his way through um, the opposing army, and then you just get placed in like the middle of a battle, and you're kind of like surrounded by soldiers, and then you see like mm -hmm. those dynamic camera angle cuts where it's just like showing Kaim from the side, like showing like the larger scope of the battlefield. It just like they they did a really great job in that game, like making battles, like the way they're shot, feel more close to you as the player like you feel more in it like it's not like um and like final fantasies or even like blue dragon where the camera is like kind of like this detached present kind of overlooking the characters like it weaves like through like the battle encounter and and has like this really great um immediate feel to it it does and um i also i quite like that seamless transition from cutscene mm -hmm. into gameplay too like that was a trick a lot of people were a lot of developers were very fond of i know final fantasy 13 did that sporadically for a few of its battles um and we mentioned that in our own podcast on that game but um uh and and here i think it's used to great effect how Kyle's just kind of like stepping off the pile of downed enemy soldiers 
and you've suddenly got all these models around him and and that fight um it's it's a good little tutorial boss that really kind of gives you um sets an example of what you can expect from this game and then once the meteor strikes both sides of this army are wiped out um except for kaim who being an immortal just survives and you have this great shot of him like walking along the along the highlands into the distance like while the somber music plays and it's like wow this just it, it just it just hits me really good it, like i just I, I love that scene so much um it also just like showcases more of like the kind of camera magic this game has going on because like you get the the nice um battle sequence but then when you're in the the highlands of wool and like it's all desolate and everybody's dead and you're kind of just like moving through it and like um like you don't have much control of the camera at all as the player but the game does this really nice job like following Kaim around and like having like this evocative feel of bringing out the the character of each environment and yeah there's just the Highlands of Wool particularly has this just really memorable great landscape shot as you're like moving through it and back towards uh Ura Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fixed the fixed perspective they kind of use is it's very it's very classical and it kind of <laughs> lets the them control the uh, the shot like of what the player is seeing and being presented with. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's um, I, I I get a little tired of the long windups, the beginning of battles, which I guess we can talk more about when we talk about combat. But um, I will say that, answer. yeah, I, I will say that I think that um, I think back to like Final Fantasy X. Um, in the in the fixed camera there, um, and I hate to keep talking about Final Fantasy, but I don't know how we avoid it here. Um, you really can't. People call this game the true Final Fantasy thirteen, <laughs> right, right? Which, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's got the right. lineage by association. Yeah, it feels very much like FF ten in particular in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure, and I I totally agree with that. And I think that I do like that. You know, in in ten sometimes it felt a little constricting, um, and I like that they give you like this ability to like sort of slightly move the camera, mm-hmm. even though there's like almost no value in it <laughs> in Lost Odyssey at least so far. Um, but uh, you can see them sort of like iterating on previous ideas. I can't think of too many other games that have like this large 3d environment that has a lot going on that then has a fixed camera but the way that they do it here um adds impact like you can see them like thinking about and for lack of a better term like the cinematography of the sequence Mm -hmm. sometimes i think it's a little cheesy but i I think it it works in terms of uh, of making it making it more dynamic to like sort of watch yeah and they for some reason they also made that if you do right trigger it like just zooms in really hard on the scene right i do that accidentally sometimes and i'm like why (laughs) (laughs) i I think i I think i just normally do it like just to have something to do while i'm climbing like a ladder or something and that was pretty much the extent of that's a good reason honestly yeah yeah Yeah, i do i will say this game's ladder climbing animation is very slow (laughs) um that is one thing where i kept trying to figure out how i could like zoomed down it like in bloodborne and i was like oh no one of the many reasons near automata is the greatest game of all time (laughs) (laughs) near automata is very very good um do you remember remember when the original near was like being called square square enix's god of war by american gaming press Uh, i I actually luckily don't remember remember. that but i can't even imagine it (laughs) it was was an incredibly cursed little that was before god of war is what god of war is today (laughs) yeah that was before it was even a dad game yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, we, game, game, game press in the mid two thousand in the mid two thousands was a time, and it failed many, <laughs> many a Japanese game, including this one. Um, Adam Sessler intensifies. Going so once we get to the end of the Wool Highlands, though, Kaim is picked up as the lone survivor, the miraculous lone survivor of this battle, um, and he is carted off back to the city of Ura, which is. And we get a little bit, a little bit of backstory about this world. Um, the Lost Odyssey's world is undergoing what is called a magical industrial revolution, which is effectively, basically, the discovery of latent magical energy inside living beings and in the world has caused a dramatic shift in technology and geopolitics, and basically, this world is cascading forward very quickly. And this is what it, why it is being so war torn at the moment. It's um, uh, so the the Ura were the, at the beginning. The the armies were of Ura were engaged with a group of beastmen from a nation called Kent, and along the way, Kaim is being sent back to Ura to report to his superiors so they can figure out what the hecky heck is going on here. And this is where we meet our second character and fellow immortal, Seth Balmore. AKA, I think one of the best characters in the game. I love Seth. She is she is so mm-hmm. cool. Seth is uh Seth's like whole thing about being like I'm an immortal pirate queen is just kind of sick. <laughs> yeah, the story is like um very just standard Sakaguchi stuff of like oh there's like uh there's heroes that need to fight against the negative influence of this technological force on the world. Like it reminds me of very much of some of those earlier Final Fantasies, but um, Very Final well, that's, Fantasy VI in a way. Yes, yeah, especially Final Fantasy VI, but also, I guess, VII like the Mako and everything. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I do think it's executed well, and I, I, I like that core cast of characters. Um, like, just a couple of hours in, we get uh, Kaim, Seth, and I'm sure you're just about to get to it, but Jansen as well. And uh, mm-hmm. those three have like a pretty pretty solid dynamic going on. Like even though we we've uh, talked Jansen. about how Jansen is uh, pretty questionable in a lot of ways, he he does kind of grow on you as the story goes on. But I think that they did good with having like a pretty good dynamic between those three characters to kind of get the get the story rolling. J- Jansen has a very has a very good like I'm a womanizing schmuck to never mind I'm not anymore arc. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, a lot of his early stuff is, especially even at the time, was very questionable. And now, you know, we live in like a post Me Too world. Uh, hey, maybe magically roofing a woman you just met is not the best thing, Jansen <laughs> yeah. Freed. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, she turns it around on him, and it's funny. Yeah, but at the that's, same a, that's time, a good moment. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, hmm, hmm. Not really liking that I have to keep this guy in my party. Um, yeah, so, uh, they, yeah, I, that that whole scene doesn't actually even make any sense. But um, <laughs> it's <laughs> no, funny it's like... too because, like, I I I I like the the I like Seth and Jansen a lot. I think that Seth is, even though she is clearly like pure Sendere like style, um, I can see that she has more depth coming, and I'm okay with that. Um, Jansen, you can already see a little bit, like at the point where I am, like he was supposed to have erased their memories definitely by now. And he hasn't, you know, like, and he's like sort of a classic tales trader, um, in that way. But, um, 
you've missed a lot of what I actually really don't like about this game, uh, which is everything okay. to do with the villains. <laughs> oh no, I love Gongora. <laughs> I think he's terrible. Uh, yeah, I think he's. I think he's great. That. I think he's great, but I want I want to hear I want to hear you guys first. So Gongora is our villain here, and who is? I'm sorry, he's a giant buff dude with massive eyebrows who takes such delight in <laughs> he, being evil. He's a generic Kefka. <laughs> yeah, he's generic, but he's, he's having generic so much and boring fun. Kefka. <laughs> but he's I, having so much fun doing it. <laughs> it it's fascinating because we'll talk about the dreams, which I I'm pretty sure I think that you mentioned this in your uh, review are localized by someone else and the dreams are working on such a different level than the rest of this game that it's almost astounding yes but, they were um, localized by a jay rubin who's a harvard academic yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're stunning but i believe he's haruki murakami's translator that's that's amazing um but even within like the game itself um so if we're talking about like someone like jansen and his dialogue and even his his voice acting which i think again uh we're problematic or or not or whatever like he is like he's well written he's engaging he's interesting I, I feel like he's an interesting character in the opening hours of this game like everything about the council and gongora actually felt like parody to me like i'm like are you trying to parody like bad rpg villains right now like it was like, so ridiculous to me and this gets to something later like they they cut back and forth to like all the Gengora stuff in like really strange ways, like in the middle of something that has nothing to do with anything with Gengora. But my larger issue is that like <laughs> he's he's just so boring. <laughs> um, I, I I don't I don't like Gengora. I, I mean, I'm glad you do, but I, I I think that for me, like every time I have to spend a scene with him, I'm like, can we go back to the other people who actually? <laughs> can like you know like normal people or like not normal. Oh, people, i mean don't get me, don't get me wrong point. don't get me wrong i think he's a cartoon character and i think yeah. and, and and that that works for me because i find it funny like i love that there is just in this universe of gritty re i mean i don't want to say gritty realism but like you have these fairly grounded cast of characters you know, for, for for a cast that consists of like a bunch of a more a couple of immortal soldiers, they come across as very real, very fleshed out people. And then there's this guy, right? Like, and I, I totally, <laughs> I totally agree with you. Um, and I think that like the, it's the tonal weirdness of the game, and like the pacing is so strange. Like you meet Kaim's daughter, and she dies within like a minute and a half. But then like we'll spend like half an hour like basically just like silently listening to Golgara or whatever his name is um a cackling even he's not cackling but you 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 can see you can sense his mind cackling he cackles a lot actually <laughs> he does. He, I've, he, I haven't he gotten quite there yet. often he quite often will cackle yes um it's just so weird like the the pacing of this game is weird and i think a huge part of it and it feels like unfinished to me because of that is Golgara and like everything to do with like it's like they didn't know where to put all the stuff with him and they just kind of sprinkle it randomly throughout oh it's okay um for me it just really feels like a like a wasted opportunity with gongora because like like you said like there's like this premise of like the the five immortals and four of them are like very grounded as people um with like complex histories and, and feelings or whatever and then there's the fifth one who's gongora and he's just uh this might like be a, a spoiler by the way zach uh only vaguely. I, I knew there were five just now. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> and it's fine. Don't worry about oh, my me. Bad, it's my fine. Bad. Don't apologize. It's fine. I, okay. I will be so okay. I'm, sure. not, I'm not a spoiler phobe. I'm okay. Um, and, and so, yeah, it so checking. it just seemed like 
um, there's this opportunity to like flesh out like the history of the five immortals as like a unit, and that sort of just never happens. Gungora remains this kind of comical, uh, comically, um, yeah, he remains like this very like simple one note villain. He's, he's very just... snidely whip, very snidely whiplash. Um, and like. There, there is a little bit. They do try to sort of hand wave it. Like if you, if you're, if you're, if you go to his like secret hideout or whatever, it's like a little side dungeon in the manor near the end game. You can find like his notes about like his his studies of the world, and it does offer a tiny bit of insight into like his mind changing over time. And they try to sort of hand wave it with this talk about like human emotions being a virus or whatever and like whatever and he's like changing and what and yeah okay but it's 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 a very thin justification for why this dude is just so megalomaniacal that you know we are we, we are a long ways away from the high points of final fantasy villains here this dude is very much like he almost kind of reminds me of x death in a way where x he's just there to be the antagonist I mean, they actually um, do more with Kefka's nihilism from what you've said than they do with. Oh yeah, Kefka. oh yeah. <laughs> Kefka's, 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 Kefka's nihilism has a very, very concrete theme, especially in the second half of six. Indeed, but but at the same time, I think Gangor is amusing, and and therefore I enjoy him. But the highlight of the game's story and the real emotional core of it are these thousand years of dreams, which I think we can talk about those a little bit now. Um, Basically, as the game progresses, Kaim is going to slowly start recovering his memories. Um, and the way the game does this is so unique, and it really is Lost Odyssey's biggest claim to fame. Essentially, every single time Cloud, um, I almost said Cloud. Oh my God, um, Kaim uh, will um, he'll see something that triggers a flashback, and that flashback is presented to the player as a short story written in text that is set to music and it's very slightly animated they'll do cool things with the way the text like loads into the screen like a character will be crying and the words will like fall down the screen like their teardrops or something like that and it's so wonderful like this is a very it's just such a unique way of presenting these stories and it really helps that they are beautifully written extremely tragic stories from Kaim's life but also a lot of them are just extremely hopeful. Like it is, oh, there is, there is, there are themes of the human spirit in the face of mortality that these stories explore that really doesn't get touched on a whole lot in the actual narrative of Lost Odyssey. And this is really where I think this is really why the game is special to me. Um, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on these. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much like substantial like character development and like thematic development is relegated to just these stories that kind of exist separately from like the rest of the game and like the gameplay itself. Like especially like Kaim, like as a character can feel like a bit wooden in the game itself, like both in terms of like kind of his voice acting and just in terms of like the general like how he's kind of developed, it, it doesn't go like too far really but learning about like this millennium of experiences through like all these stories just it, it makes you look at him like differently it makes you look at him as like a more complex character when you end up going back to the game itself so it's just it really kind of shows like the potential of how like a video game can implement these kind of multimedia features that affect our narrative experience of the game as a whole even if they kind of feel apart 
from like the quote unquote like game itself. And yeah, I just really wish more of the kind of like depth of feeling that is expressed throughout these episodes was actually covered in like different like cutscenes and dialogues mm-hmm. and character interactions throughout the game. That's yeah. totally fair. Yeah, and, and I guess we're gonna I'm gonna get ahead of us a little bit here, but I felt like um the moment, even though like I think it it should have been developed more, um, when Kaim um meets his daughter again and she dies, and like the, the grief that they feel in that moment is really really like it, it feels like it exists within the scope of those dreams mm-hmm. um and, and those dreams i wish they were a little less early 2000s powerpoint sometimes um in terms <laughs> of the way they're presented um but the, the the quality of the writing there is so high um that like it every time i get one i like, i'm genuinely giddy and, like i was tr- i was trying really hard to get to the end of disc one for recording today and i, I had to skip like three of them and i'll go back to them literally the minute we're done (laughs) um (laughs) but like it it sort of serves as a contrast too like i actually think that and i hadn't thought about what you were saying earlier alex like that it brings a depth to kime as his wooden and i think sort of poorly voice acted character is going through it like uh, to me it was like oh there's like this total total tonal disparity and i think it's a thing that I struggle with so far in this game. Again, I like it a lot, but like it, it feels like it has this tonal disparity, but like this idea that the way they're giving depth to this character who doesn't really say anything is like a move that's being made on purpose. I like that idea a lot. And I hope that it was part of their plan. Um, but man, like the one with the flowers and about like the flowers that die after one day. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that oh, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was stunning. It was stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and some of them can be like yeah, some of them can just be like really like personal too um like like some of them are kind of like more focused on like an external character that's like kind of the focus of that individual story but some of them like just like really show what like kaim himself has like gone through like i don't know if you guys saw read the uh the prison one yet where he's just kind of like in a prison oh and then they get freed at the end it's fantastic yeah and he's just sort of like stuck there and like kind of reflecting on like how this is like worse than death and he's just like uncontrollably like banging his like body against the bars because he just like can't like take any more time in the prison and it's just such a powerful like yeah so so powerfully written that's that's a really good one there's one later on where he's a prison guard that's phenomenal too oh right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah look forward to that one if yeah this is this is one game where i would highly recommend doing a lot of the side content just because it gets you more short stories like like yeah i'm exploring those towns i could have gotten to the end of disc one in like six hours probably but i was like i'm walking everywhere in this because i don't want (laughs) to miss a single one of these short stories and honestly um and i i I honestly um i have i have i have a a point to make about the short stories before we move on to the because i do want to talk about the towns in this game um 
but the short stories too like it would be so easy for these games to fall back on tropes and uh which the, the main narrative definitely does it's definitely a send-up of classic jrpg tropes um and it would be very easy for these short stories to to be extremely cliched or to manipulate your heartstrings or like just to be about this one dude's angst. And I think they managed to be so much more than that. I think a lot of them are incredibly hopeful. I think a lot of these stories show what people are capable of when they're faced with mortality, how people make the most of their limited time on this, on this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much of them are just like, it, it just, it just comes across as being so much richer. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I think that they, um, so my only criticism is that it draws a stark contrast from the rest of the narrative. <laughs> and that, that's <laughs> really the so thing. Good that it's like, it's weird. <laughs> that's really the thing. Cause you, you do sort of have to like, it, it's, you sort of have to remind me there was, there was a, this was a joke that, that, uh, that H bomber guy was making in his Deus Ex video. Um, the, the, which uh, I really enjoyed was that like, there's a line between gameplay, Adam Jensen and cutscene Adam Jensen. It's like in lost Odyssey. There is a, there's a fine line between thousand years of dreams, time, and video game time like and i do think that those stories do help to flesh out like okay now we know a little bit more about this character and sort of why he is the way he is um though i think it's actually more effective when you get the there's a couple of those that aren't even for kaim there's a couple for for um for ming and for um for seth as well and those ones actually do i think i actually think are fairly more effective at uh helping you understand these characters frame of minds yeah, and they feel more tied into like direct moments in the the game themselves. Because I'm pretty sure like those ones, um, like none of them are optional either. Like they all come at very no. specific moments of the game and like offer like very substantial character development for those characters. Yeah, they do. They're 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 directly related to what is going on currently in the narrative. Um, Ming's especially is really good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did want to talk about since we mentioned again we're exploring towns. I. This this is again from a period um, to make a direct comparison to Final Fantasy thirteen, which I want to do because again a lot of people really like to call this game the true Final Fantasy thirteen. Even though I like that game for all its warts, it one thing that that game was very heavily and rightly criticized for is that the world it presents is not does not feel lived in. It does not feel like a game world that you can like inhabit. There are no NPCs to talk to very little in the way of actual side quests, towns, things to explore. It's just straight on through the narrative. Lost Odyssey's towns are dense. Like, there are NPCs to talk to, there are mini-games to play, there are side quests within side quests, there are, like, hidden treasure chests that you can, like, go out of your way to find. Like, there, there's, there's so much stuff to do in these towns, and as you're exploring them, you're going to be interacting with the game's systems in new and interesting ways. You're going to be finding more short stories. You're going to be unlocking those the, the music sheets for that stupid rhythm game that you have to do to get one of the best accessories in the game. Um, it's worth doing, but it's dumb. Um, uh, you can... You, you'll be... You'll find side quests. You'll play little mini-games like hide-and-seek with these kids or whatever, or you're going to, like... Uh, I don't even know. There's a whole, there's a whole bunch. There's just a whole bunch of that. There's like there's a casino later on in the game, like things like that, like and it just feels so. That world, despite being this fantastical place, feels very lived in, and I I, I appreciate that tremendously. 
Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it feels like um like a a latter days Dragon Quest town, like where I'm like going into every single house, checking yeah. every single drawer, looking at every single thing. Um, I've and I'll investigate admit that it, all these pots. I have right. to probe all the pots. And I really wish that like when I put my hand in the pot, like I would get the item a little faster. I don't have to wait for it to rise out, but it's fine. Yeah, there's <laughs> that. There is that. It adds uh, up over time. It does, yeah. Uh, but you know, I I. I, I find the towns a little overwhelming. <laughs> like there's so much to do there. Like it, it feels like, um, again, this gets to uh, sort of the, one of the, I, I like the towns, um, but like they, like, it's like you have these very linear sort of dungeons and then like you get to the town and there's so much to do. And I, and I'm afraid because I know this is a disced game. Like if I move on, it's gonna, I'm going to get locked out of things. Um, and that's my guess. And you don't have to tell me if I'm right or wrong on that. Cause I'm going to keep looking in the towns, but well, actually, not really. Okay. Um, That's good to know. I, I used a guide for this game, full disclosure, because I oh, did. Okay. I actually did want to do a lot of the side content because it actually is really worth doing. And yeah. if, and if you and you can you can make a completely broken character build in this game very easily. Um, that sounds good. I, I like a broken character today. build. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I I thought they were a little overwhelming, but I do agree with you. I like the density of them. I like that mm-hmm. even though they're very large, there's a lot to do in them. Um, but I. I guess my completionist tendencies make me worry that I'm missing something. So I keep, no, I, I, feel I spent, that. I spent like two and a half hours in this town right before the crimson forest. And I'm like, I know I need to finish, but like, I can't, I can't leave anything. <laughs> I, I, you <laughs> want to make I, sure I, you I, get those a thousand year dreams episodes anyways. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's anything you can, nothing springs to mind that you can be locked out of. You can, and, and by the end of the game, you will have free reign over this overworld, which is fantastic. Um, there's and a ton of stuff opens up, which is awesome. Um, in terms of like those dun- the dungeon design too, they also get a lot more complicated in the later game. Like they're still fairly straightforward, point A to point B in terms of where you're going, but there is a lot more like puzzles and stuff, like actual puzzles. And if you want to get all of the treasure chests, it can take some doing. Um, which I kind of like though, because I feel like dungeon design is kind of a lost art in RPGs these days. In terms of this game's combat. Um, when you're actually in fights, this game is a turn-based battle system. You have up to five party members, um, and the and you and your enemies face off in a row. Um, it kind of works like in Final Fantasy one through three, where you're going to enter the inputs for your entire party, and then the turn order is going to be affected by their agility stats as well as um what action they're doing. Like spellcasters will sometimes have to take longer to cast their spells in or and um and you can have abilities that can speed that up um and if they get hit a lot that can actually slow them down um there is a turn order displayed in the bottom corner of the screen very similar to final fantasy X's turn order although it's a little less um critical to the game's proceedings than in that game um i do agree with you by the way zach that that load in to the fights where it always has to pan over your entire party um, does definitely get old by the thousandth time you've seen it, but um, I, I, at the very least, we don't have to watch the um, the empty field as the game loads too often since we're playing this That's on true. hardware. <laughs> the, uh, I, I would imagine if it, I would be a lot more frustrated with it if it was on 360. Um, yeah, and one uh, of those things I was kind of disappointed that um, never became available was like an accessory that allowed you to avoid random encounters. Because, I mean, like, that's been uh, a recurring thing in Final Fantasy games for, like, a while. So to to see it as not an option here was um, 
a little disappointing because ultimately towards the end of the game I did find myself running away from a lot of fights because with the way that like experience works in this game where like um, usually within like a single dungeon you'll kind of get level capped at a certain point. Yeah, It's like you'll be getting like tons of experience every fight, uh, getting levels generously, and then you'll hit a certain level at which point like you just won't really get experience anymore. So at that point, why even do the fight? Uh, you're just going to want to run. And while it is nice that they you get like a automatic escape ability fairly early on, like a lot of the times that like you'll still have to get into the <laughs> battle, watch the opening animation, wait to get to the character that has that ability, use it, input all your other characters' commands, even if it's just defend, and then even wait for like an enemy to like attack you before you actually get out of the fight. So it's like, even though there's mm -hmm. like an automatic escape, you could easily be spending like a minute just trying to like get out of a fight you never wanted to be in in the first place and yeah that's that's definitely one of my biggest critiques of the game i think yeah no i definitely i definitely can see that and um some of these fights can go on for quite a bit too um and especially in the late game when enemies are a lot tougher although um again i also uh it, it, i also was doing a lot of the side content by that point so by the time i hit the final dungeon most of the fights were fairly trivial um and which by that point, yeah, you're just going to be running away from them anyway. You don't really need to engage with them. I don't need the XP from this. Also, see, also has a soft XP cap, which I find interesting. Um, level Leveling up in a certain area will only go get you so far. After a while, the amount of XP you earn will be dramatically reduced. Which mm -hmm. I think is interesting because it does encourage you to sort of move on to greener pastures. Um, that's true, but I feel like, um, you know, in the, um, at least early on, which I think that Lost Odyssey has a reputation for the first couple bosses being difficult, which I didn't really have that experience here. Um, because I was like, oh, I really want to have like, you just gave me an anti-poison accessory. Okay, cool. I want anti-poison on all my characters now. And so I feel like what's interesting is that like, it has like this weird blend of like discouraging grinding, because even though I agree with you that it would be nice to have that accessory, at least like the random encounter rate is relatively low in this game. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's not, not like Breath of Fire 2 or something. It, it, it sort of rewards grinding, at least in the early game. Like, I know I want this accessory idea or this accessory skill on all my characters. And then I, when I get to the boss, I'm like, oh, you have a poison skill. I'm glad I have that now. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's it's sort of a strange blend of things. Um, I still think the combat is a little, uh, maybe it gets better as it goes. But like, for me at this point, I'm like, meh. <laughs> like i don't think there's a lot going on with the combat right now um i wish I it was a little more ambitious but it, it's fine i think for me what sells it for me is i think the boss design especially as the game progresses the encounters become very puzzle like like in terms of just like okay you want to make sure you have your full toolkit available because certain bosses are going to be like okay this boss is immune to a certain kind of attack or um, or will hit you with this certain kind of ability. So you want to make sure you're using your skills effectively. Uh, and, and especially early on, since you're going to be using, you're going to be grinding a lot of um, of um, SP uh, for your immortal characters um, in order for them to learn new skills. Um, later on in the game, you'll get a double SP ability, which is very handy for those late game grinding. I would sessions. imagine so. Yes. Oh goodness. <laughs> oh goodness. And then and you also then you're also going to be giving your characters more skills as they go up. Um I should probably explain how the skill system works actually while we're here. Um so one thing about Lost Odyssey that's interesting is that the immortal characters are actually the only one they don't learn skills by leveling up. 
Instead, they earn either by them either by gaining points through level through leveling up that um, go towards the accessories they're equipped with, or by pairing up with one of the mortal party members because the mortal party members do earn skills by leveling up. Um, it, I think it's an interesting encapsulation of like, okay, we're kind of exploring themes through gameplay here. The mortal characters are the ones who have this potential. Um, but also it gives you quite a bit of freedom in terms of how you build your party, especially early on. Like you can prioritize which skills you want to have on your characters. And it does work a really long ways for making your characters into an unstoppable killing machine because you'll, you'll just get all the best skills off of these accessories put them on your immortal party members and all of a sudden they are just unstoppable um it's very fun yeah. i quite like yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of final fantasy 9 yeah for sure except um i yeah you mentioned that kind of like thematic connection of like having the immortals essentially learning from the mortals through the the scaling system and i just think that's such a great idea and it really ends up tying in back into the uh a thousand years of dreams uh thematically in a meaningful way i feel because like those stories are ultimately about like Kaim and the others kind of learning from their encounters with mortals. And here mm -hmm. they're kind of doing the same thing with the party members, which is very cool. Um, and yeah, in a way it feels like setting up like a skill link with the characters is like setting up like a bonding experience between them. So like just mm -hmm. the whole way that's framed is great. And uh, yeah, it makes you think about like, like personally I, I ended up making um Sarah kind of more white magic focus and making Ming kind of more black magic focus because of their connections to Cook and Jansen respectively. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I just thought it was like great that the game kind of made that even like a, a possibility just through these like little menu engagements. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I also one thing I also like about the combat is um so is the timing mechanics. Um, this 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 I don't know how you guys feel about this in general, but. Y'all know me. I really love Mario and Luigi. Um, and uh, put and Shadow Hearts. And this game actually had a lot of the people who worked on Lost Odyssey also worked on both Shadow Hearts and Legend of Dragoon, which are both famous RPGs that have <laughs> timing mechanics in their this battle system. Much easier than Legend of Dragoon on that front. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, so basically anytime a character decides to use a normal attack, They'll, there will be a brief animation of them running towards the enemy, and a, and a timing ring will appear on the screen. Getting the ring within the circle will cause your attack to to do to do to hit. Um, getting it just right will cause it to do per, be a perfect score and will do more damage. Um, and if you miss it, you'll still do damage, but you won't get any of the bonuses of the ring you have equipped. Um, Equipping rings is also a big part of this game, strat the strategy in this game. Since you can do it mid-battle, you really want to make sure you're equipping the right rings that give you bonuses against certain types of enemies so you can um, you can capitalize on those weaknesses, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, which I do appreciate. And I and love I, how you can like, even change your equipment like kind of mid-battle. Um, yes. Yeah, it ends up like making for this like kind of much more fluid strategicness that uh, you don't have to worry too much about like micromanaging in your menu before battle because you can always just like with each new battle you get into you can like kind of scan the situation, see what the weaknesses are, and then equip your party accordingly. So I thought that was a really cool idea and, and pretty unique too. 
yeah definitely i I really i i enjoy i enjoy i did enjoy that aspect of it a lot and yeah just that uh i do want to just shout out like that kind of just the haptic feeling of like holding down right trigger while your character is like charging at the the enemy you're attacking and just like letting go at the right time it like it feels really good like fantastic audio visual feedback on that um like because i also feel yeah yeah, I even like played some Blue Dragon uh before the podcast just to kind of have like a, a point of reference there. And um it tried to do something similar with like um when you cast a spell, uh you have to like hold a button and like try to get at the right point of like a meter, but in comparison, like it just felt like there was no feedback that made it feel nearly as good as the ring system to Lost Odyssey. So yeah, the that audio visual yeah. feedback just adds a lot. They really nailed it. It's interesting, too, because like so many other games have tried to do it. Like I played a game um, called, uh, what's the the name of that game? Crease Tales. <laughs> um, that tries oh, yeah. to do like sort of a timing-based attack thing. But like the feedback isn't quite right. Um, and like the timing of every attack is a little bit weird. Um, and so I, I do appreciate, um, and I, I agree with Alex, like it, it makes the battles feel like the battles that in and of themselves don't have a lot going on. Like they are very basic standard, really final fantasy three style turn-based combat. Um, but it, it takes it um, and makes it feel more dynamic. It makes it feel bigger. Um, and I like that. And I think the ring element definitely helps um, bring it more alive as well. No, absolutely. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the gameplay, but not we uh, of lost odyssey so far um, and our, our, likes and dislikes with it thereof as far as the early part of the story goes it's definitely um uh we it definitely hasn't quite hit its stride at the very beginning essentially um kaim and seth are tasked by gangora and the council of ura to go investigate the source of this meteor project of this meteor that uh destroyed the, their army which appears to be linked to a magical doomsday weapon that they're building called grand staff and oh boy they do love to call it always call it grand staff no matter <laughs> what the context is um it would it, definitely be the, at the center of the bingo card for lost odyssey it's like yeah take a <laughs> shot every time they say grand staff it, i will say that of the early console scenes that is very clunky in terms of how that is delivered um i agree <laughs> Uh, it it gets it, I I think you get used to it after maybe I don't know if it gets better I think you just get used to it but um uh Gangora however is the head of the Grand Staff project and obviously wants to use it for his own probably nefarious ends um and so he sends Jansen along with you um to keep an eye on you he gives Jansen that magical orb that is to in in case um that he can use to wipe Kaim and Seth's memories if they ever start to return. So clearly he has an agenda there, um, which Jansen doesn't do because Jansen is a good boy, apparently. And then we have our initial run through. When we actually get to Grand Staff, we find the place is essentially falling apart. Um, you have the boss against the giant worm thing, which totally looks like a sin spawn. Like, am I, am I alone in that? That the thing that it spawns its little minions. They remind me a lot of Sin Scales from uh, Final Fantasy X. Yeah, I definitely see that now that you mention it. In fact, like a, I could think of now like a couple of major monsters in this game that give Sin vibes. 
yeah, the art direction is definitely doing a lot of work to remind me of that for sure. Um, once they there, though, we are interrupted by a third party that is interested in the Grand Staff Project, this being General Kakanis from the Nation of Numara. And if we want to talk about cartoon villains here for a second, I, I know I know we have our issues. <laughs> we, I know we have our issues with Gungora, but I think Kakanis is like way, way worse. I mean, I agree. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that that's like just the way they write villains in this game so far. I mean, maybe that'll change, but it doesn't seem to be the case. It does so not far. change. Just, okay. And the voice acting change. is worse, too. Like, I think Gungora's voice acting is pretty bad. That guy, I can't remember his name, General Cork, whatever. Um, I think Kakanis. I think his voice acting is horrible. So he sa- it's he, he sounds, interesting. He sounds like he sounds like Gaston, but like <laughs> that <in a> way. <laughs> yeah, in a bad way. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's interesting because I think some of the main cast voice acting, especially uh, Seth and um, Jansen's, are really fantastic. Uh, just like the, it's like they definitely did it on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not it's a very that I appreciate. Yeah, but Kakanis essentially wants to seize Grand Staff for himself. So that he can use Numara is generally seen as a peacekeeping nation. Um, he wants to bring peace by subjugating everyone else, which you know I guess is one way to go about it. But uh, the queen doesn't see it that way, so he effectively sees her as a figurehead, and it has the real political power in Numara. Jansen tries to make off with her. Uh, it, he reverses. She reverses the situation on him, which is great. Um, once we get into Numara and we're, we're let go of, um, is where we actually get to meet, um, uh, Kaim's daughter, Liram, who we've been having flashbacks to up to this point. Um, am I going through this too fast, by the way, guys? I'm sorry. No, no that's like... good. I mean, uh, no, nah, I mean, I, there isn't a whole lot of story early on in this game. You've covered it all. Don't worry. <laughs> we've kind of covered, yeah, we, that's the thing is that we've kind of covered it through our discussion. As, yeah. as we've gone along. So I don't want to make sure I'm missing anything. But at the same time, yeah, it's like, okay, well, we, 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 after we release into Numara, we end up meeting our next, um, Kaim's daughter who is on her deathbed. And we also get to meet his grandchildren who are our next two party members, uh, Cook and Mac. Um, so what do we think about these two? Um, I like Palom and Porum a lot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's who they are. They are the Palom and Porum of this game. Um, yeah, I think they're both really good characters and like have an obvious dynamic. And um, I, I was mentioning this earlier, like I really like the moment, um, especially like the moment. Sometimes the mini games are a little bit weird. Like it's like, oh, your daughter dies. Now go gather 10 sticks, um, <laughs> which I, I wasn't super crazy about that. But I do like that they try to pull into the gameplay, like you being involved in this grieving process. Um, and I like yeah. the, torch, the torch lighting. Um, yeah. Very easy mini game. I thought was actually kind of lovely. Um, and all the cutscene direction around that I thought was amazing. Um, so far, like I think this game is sort of fine, except for that moment right there. And obviously the dream sequences where I was like, okay, this is excellent. Um, and yeah, I, I think that it, um, the characters are both well drawn quickly. I wish we had gotten to know the daughter a little bit more before she died within like a minute and a half of us meeting her. But um, it's okay. Um, it, it was still a really effective moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly wish the game had more of those kinds of uh, like integrated like story interactions going on because I feel it's something that um, like a lot of the Final Fantasies, especially like six to nine, did a lot of where like there'd be like these sequences where you're just like 
like interacting with the world in like minor ways but there's like kind of like this um like you're kind of like caught up in this scenario and you're kind of just like interacting with the characters through like the scenario so the grieving sequence did a great job with that that like now that you mention it unfortunately doesn't really get taken on much more in the rest of the game but um yeah that, that was definitely a good moment yeah i think it's brilliant honestly and just regarding yeah, like true. Mac and Cook in general, like uh, they're good characters. I swear, like I've heard those voice actors for them, like like in many places before, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, but I just like love the idea that like the party composition in this game, like there's so many like familial relationships in it, and like it's something like you don't really see in many JRPGs. Like I think this is one of few JRPGs that doesn't have like a single like teenage or 20 year old character. Like these characters are like full grown adults or main character is thousand plus years old. And um, yeah, just having like a family dynamic in the middle of like a party. Um, it's very cool. Honestly, um, Lost Odyssey has found the secret code for the JR- for the JRPG old man character. He's 20, physically 20 years old, but he's actually a thousand. we 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 figured it out guys um but no i agree with you and i I actually like that cook and mac are actually like kaim's grandchildren because i think it actually gives a real incentive for him to like actually stick around with them in the party because it's like oh yeah they're not just kind of like some kids who joined up your party they're like no they're family like and exactly it, it makes their dynamic i think a lot more interesting yeah, because like a lot of JRPG parties can ultimately, um, by the end, feel like oh, there's like a core cast and then like a couple of stragglers who just like never went away. Um, but because of the family dynamic, like, like the fact that these characters go through this whole experience together, just seems to make a lot more sense. And just like as a as a unit, this this party's a really good one. I feel. I think that about brings us to the end of disc one, which is where we were going to stop for today. Um, Mac runs off to go um, find to the Crimson Forest dungeon um, and the party pursues uh, him in order to stop him from you know, getting killed and that is about where we left off. That's probably the most complex dungeon up to this point, which isn't really saying much but it is is an interesting area. I do think that does break up the visual monotony of the game a little bit, which honestly so does Numara. Like I think Numara's all white, um, kind of seaport aesthetic is very yeah. Nice. I thought Numara was like a little bit washed out, but like uh, so far with the Crimson Forest, I, I like I like it a lot. All the purples and different colors. Um, I think really, um, I I've been in there for ten minutes, so that's that's how much I know about Crimson Forest. But um, I I do like it so far. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're really pretty much like right on the end there because the the boss fight at the end is literally the end of this one. Uh. But yeah, that's the that those are our kind of our first impressions of Lost Odyssey. It's uh it's definitely a game that kind of represents kind of a melding of the new and the old. Like it took a lot of classical intentionally classical design decisions and elements into a more modern graphical lens. Um uh it definitely I think in terms of like its actual narrative, the like 
not the putting aside the thousand years of dreams and the deeper themes and all that the actual okay the evil wizard is doing a bad and we have to stop him plot definitely is not one of its strongest aspects but the characters when you factor in the characters the dream sequences little moments like that funeral scene i really do think this game is something special and i'm really curious to see your thoughts on it as you get further in zach yeah i mean i i I agree with everything you're saying and i think it's interesting because um it was at a time when turn-based combat was dead basically um and just seeing the ways in which they tried to bring dynamism to turn-based combat like if you look at turn-based combat today like something like i don't know octopath traveler there's like a degree of strategy and thoughtfulness you have to put into those games that is many magnitudes higher than i'm guessing anything i'm gonna have to do in this game but the way that they tried so that's the way that they try to make turn-based combat interesting today whereas with something like lost odyssey i think so much of it's about just literally the camera (laughs) um and it's it's really interesting just to see that this sort of attempt um at um, making the old new um, in a way that didn't really stick, but that is sort of a, a, a an artifact of its time that I think is really fascinating. Yeah, and I guess one thing we didn't talk about uh, for the battle system is the uh, GC meter. Oh, um, yeah. See, I almost forgot to work that in the review. So, because um, I don't honestly... Yeah, so basically your party has that guard condition thing, right? Where it's like the front row is protecting the back row which is a, a pretty classic RPG staple, but they try to... This is another element where they try to make it a little more interesting by um, basically your party's... Um, the max HP of the front row is a number that can go da- that will go down as you take damage, and it doesn't recover unless you use abilities, which are honestly not worth it. Yeah. I don't think. So you have to, like... So you sort of have to break the enemy's guard condition to do more damage to their back row before they do the same to you. I do think that's interesting. I think so far, at least for me, like it, it has more to do with my attacks than it has to do with the attacks I receive. Um, like, cause the attacks I receive, like I, if, as long as my strategy is right, it's not going to matter. Um, whereas the attacks that I have to give, like the second boss battle with all those like sort of ants in front of you or whatever they are, um, insects, mm-hmm. Um, like so much of that was about like killing those ants fast enough so that my attacks were doing any damage to the worm on the back, the two of them that I fought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'd sort of forgotten about that, but I do think it's an interesting wrinkle. Yeah. It has like a lot of potential as an idea. And, um, I just wish it was like executed uh, a little better in the long run. Cause yeah, it's like for, for regular fights, you basically don't need to worry about it at all. Like it's not going to impact anything. Um, it really only becomes a thing in boss fights, and even then, um, I think it really only is a pun. I think I've seen people who say that managing GC is a really important part of this game's combat, and I've never felt like that was the case. I really only felt like it is there to make the fight harder the longer it goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, because yes, there are skills that can replenish the GC meter. And obviously you want to heal up after battle so that you have a full one so your your back mark row just doesn't get immediately murked. But I, I never really felt like I was like super worried about it for my own party. For the enemy, definitely. Like the enemy you want to bring back down there so you can do the most damage to them. Because the back row guys just won't take any damage otherwise. Like that's when it becomes important. But it, it's a neat idea. I don't think it's very it's fully developed. Yeah, agreed. 
But do we have any other lingering things we want to touch on before we get to housekeeping today? No, look, looking forward to the rest of the game for me personally. I guess the, I'm looking the, forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Yeah, for sure, Zach. Um, I guess the one thing I'll, I'll also add because we've been we talked a lot about like the slowness of this game a lot, like and like just from the ways like Kai moves around, like he's got like kind of like a very heavy realistic feel to it. Checking <laughs> pots, His running can take... anima- animation is so weird too. <laughs> yeah, the, the sprint just looks completely unnatural. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate it. I'm okay. Yeah, with yeah. It. <laughs> it's kind of more of like uh, just like, are you frustrated? Here, here's a button to help yourself out, kind of thing. Kind of like Dragon Quest Eleven had like a similar thing going on yeah, with that sprint. Yeah. Although that looked a bit better, but yeah, just just in terms of like the how slow this game feels, like how heavy and like kind of the sense of realism and heft they were trying to capture in both like the ways you move around the world and the ways like combat is experienced. Like in one way, it's like very tedious, and on the other hand, I do think there's a bit of a, a charm to it. I I suspect that might only be me. Um, but this was like a game that I played for like months. It was never a game I picked up for like if I had like under two hours to play it. I always like saved it for like long, long play sessions. And I did feel like I got like absorbed in kind of like the very slow kind of pace of it all. And it was just like a very like relaxing experience that I could kind of just like sit with for hours and, and take in. And um well, that's not like the best selling point, I don't think. It's like it's something you like won't get in any RPG anymore, I don't feel. Um so I, I did kind of just like have that thought that like, oh, this is like a unique way of making like uh a JRPG feel um in a way that like I kind of enjoyed but also like kind of feel uh, some tedium about. So I thought I'd just mention that. No, that's totally fair. And I actually and I I think um it's definitely a little more slower paced. Again, it's definitely pulling from a more classical playbook. And a lot of those older PS1 games, especially as they started to get more 3D oriented, like you go back and play Final Fantasy VIII nowadays, for example, like Final Fantasy VIII with the draw- constant magic drawing and like waiting for the animations to play out before the attack actually goes off, like things like that. Th- th- these games started to get. Um, a little long in the tooth where you're just watching stuff Mm -hmm. play out or where movement is a little slower than you want it to be and this is before they started adding things like turbo buttons or the no encounter manipulation thing from bravely um and things like that a lot of modern quality of life concessions that aren't in the game and i feel like if lost odyssey was ported today which please 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 microsoft i'm begging you um do it um but I would love to see a few of those quality of life improvements added here because I don't think it would hurt the game at all. No, no, and just having that as an option is so nice. Like the the FF eight uh, remaster was so so good for that those reasons. Mm, oh, absolutely. Like I mean, I I can't play the Kaseki games without the turbo mode. Like at this point, it's just like I don't have time. <laughs> uh, everything is too slow without it. I think I was doing cutscenes with the turbo mode on. <laughs> Like maybe that makes me a a sac- sacrilegious. I don't know, but it was like you know what this game's gonna gonna be sixty sixty seventy hours either way. I'm gonna do what I can to mitigate that experience. Um. So yeah, if Lost Odyssey had those options, I would totally see. I would totally take advantage of them. It doesn't bother me so much that it doesn't because it's just kind of of that time. 
but at the same time it's like yeah like okay if if it was released nowadays i would have i would be probably a little more critical on that front yeah and i I will say that even though i i did find some enjoyment out of the the slow pace of it all like if i were to if those turbo options were not available i'd be a lot more reluctant to replay it for sure so thank you for listening to this episode of retro encounter um as far as social media presence goes, um, where can we find you guys? Uh, starting with Zach. Uh, you can't, um, but you can email me, uh, ZachW at RPGFan.com, and you can also find me on RPG Fans Discord at ZachW. Zach is the and, wisest uh, you, among you can't us. Fu- <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't find me on social media either, So, but but you can also email me, and you can do that at uh, alexfranicek at gmail.com um, and just you know reference like how my name is spelt. Uh, to to get in contact with me. <laughs> Fair enough. See, you, both of you are both of you are wise to get off of the social media because I am a, apparently locked into the nightmare hell site that is Twitter. So you can find me there at I have fury. Um, you can't email me actually. Don't try. It doesn't exist. Um, uh, I'm also on Discord, but I can't remember my Discord name off the top of my head. So I'm just not gonna do that because I'm not on the RPG Discord a lot anyway. So don't don't bother. It's not um anyway this has been it for this episode of retro encounter so we'll be back soon with more thoughts on on lost odyssey uh thank you good night and good luck